Welcome to this Vetfolio podcast brought to you in part by Elanco. We're pleased that you decided to join us as we explore the topic of tick control or oral tick control. What are the differences you need to know about with our guest speaker, Dr. Susan Little? Please note the information in this session is intended to provide you with practical and timely information to assist you as veterinary professionals. The views and opinions provided are those of the presenter and do not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Vetfolio and its sponsors. Now let's dive into our session with our guest speaker, Dr. Little. Well, we've reached the fourth in this series of four podcasts about the increasing risk of ticks and tick-borne infections in North America. So far, I've gone over some of the reasons for increased tick populations, described diseases, old and new, that are transmitted by those ticks, and reviewed tick control products and other strategies to help protect pets from the risk created by ticks. In this final session, I'll describe some of the resources available to help educate clients about the risk of tick-borne disease in your particular practice area and explain some strategies that might help foster that conversation. That conversation is really important. If people don't know or aren't convinced that the tick problem is local and timely, then they are unlikely to take steps to protect their pets and themselves from ticks. And we know that protection from ticks leads to healthier pets and healthier people. But with everything pet owners have to keep track of, how do we convince them to focus a little effort on maintaining current and effective tick control? One thing that helps is the media attention on the health issues that ticks create for people in North America. There is no shortage of news stories, even documentaries, about the increasing number of cases of Lyme disease diagnosed or the spread of ticks to new areas or even viral agents now known or thought to be transmitted by ticks. And it's true, there are more cases of Lyme disease and many other tick-borne infections diagnosed in the United States than there were just a few years ago. And diagnoses of other diseases like Rocky Mountain spotted fever and ehrlichiosis are also increasing almost exponentially. Even with that increase, it is now accepted that only a minority of cases, perhaps less than 10%, are actually identified and reported. And so the narratives in the media are so important. Now, they almost always focus on human health risk, but we can still leverage those trending stories as a launching point for conversations about the importance of also protecting pets from ticks and tick-borne infections. So what resources are there to learn more about the risk in your local area? Well, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention has excellent maps of tick distribution in the United States that show which ticks are present in your area. And CDC is a widely recognized, very reputable source of information. The maps are freely available for anyone to use, and they can be incorporated into an informative post about why your practice recommends tick control for pets. It's basically because we know ticks are here, and then the CDC maps can be used as evidence of ticks are here. They're a consistent local problem for the pets. In addition, CAPC, the Companion Animal Parasite Council, has excellent interactive maps on their website, capcvet.org, and those maps detail how many dogs have tested positive for a given tick-borne infection in a given area. So you can go on capcvet.org and explore the number of dogs that test positive for antibodies to the agent of Lyme disease, anaplasmosis, or lichiosis, and really learn more about the local risk for each infection. So, for example, nationally, about 6 to 7% of dogs test positive for antibodies to the Lyme disease agent, but in Connecticut, it's over 17%. 
a much higher risk. And in Arkansas, where local transmission of Borrelia burgdorferi is not thought to occur, it is only 0.19%, just a handful of positive dogs, most likely ones who have moved in from another area. In contrast, if we look at Ehrlichia, only 1 to 2% of dogs in Connecticut are positive for antibodies to Ehrlichia. And Ehrlichiosis is a disease more frequently seen in the southern U.S. But over 17% of Arkansas dogs are positive for antibodies to Ehrlichia. So the maps give an excellent estimation of local infection risk, and that really helps us inform clients about why tick control is recommended, why in areas where Lyme disease is endemic or emerging vaccination is recommended, because we know that it's a present danger, that it's actually in the area where these recommendations are being made. The site also has maps of Canada by province, and so those are available for our colleagues in Canada to use. Another source is state and provincial public health agencies. They often have very nice extension documents explaining the most important ticks and tick-borne infections in a given region, along with the highest risk times of the year. And then they'll describe measures people can take to protect themselves. And importantly, those measures are almost always using tick control products when in an area with ticks. So we know that using tick control is recommended for people, and it should be a standard for pets as well, and that's why tick control is likely recommended by your practice. Lastly, the tick landscape in North America is rapidly changing, and so there's a need for current up-to-date information about local risk, and that data, that information about what's going on right now is likely available from your state university, the closest veterinary college, or the state veterinary diagnostic lab in your area. These are the groups that are monitoring the situation in the field. They're looking for prevalence or increasing prevalence, and they're documenting incursion of new diseases when that occurs. So be sure to check out what the newsletter from your state diagnostic lab has to say about ticks and tick-borne infection risk. So once we've gathered that information, what's the most effective way to communicate the risk to clients? It is important to explain the local risk because your recommendation for tick control follows directly from your concern about the risk of tick bites and tick-borne infection to their pets right here and right now or in the near future. And so the CAPC maps are designed to be used by veterinary practices and with clients to actually explore that local risk. You can actually select your state and then your county and see the data available for dogs in your area in real time this year. And then you can scroll back through previous years to see if there's been an increase over time. We know practice protocols have to evolve to meet that changing risk. And if ticks are a new concern in your area or to your practice, and you can show that the number of pets infected with a tick-borne disease agent is increasing or has maybe reached a threshold of concern for a certain period of time, then that change helps explain why you're now recommending a different strategy for your patients, for the clients that use your practice. But you can also use the CAPC data offline to inform something as simple as a whiteboard strategy or to provide content for a social media post. Sometimes something as direct as a statement of 24 dogs tested positive for Lyme disease in our practice last month ask us about tick protection and vaccination. That can be a really powerful message. And clients who see that post online or just in the reception area written on a board, they understand that the risk is real and that it's happening right now. 
and that you as the veterinarian don't want their pet to be next. Email posts are another great strategy. The first cat diagnosed with cytozoonosis in a given year or a dog that develops clinical ehrlichiosis in early spring or late fall, maybe when it's not expected, or Lyme disease any time of the year. Any of those can be the basis for a short message to clients reminding them about the risk and the need for tick control, vaccination, testing. Hearing that other pets in the practice are affected by ticks is often the most effective way to motivate clients to protect their own pets. To help those folks that don't understand that ticks are a year-round risk, you can provide a posted list of ticks removed from dogs this week, this month, so far this year, even a faux celebration of the first tick of the year which is often found in January, really helps folks see that ticks pay no attention to our calendars and that dogs and cats would benefit from tick control. And for cats, just the message that cats are at risk of tick infestation and tick-borne diseases is important. Many cat owners are completely unaware that ticks are an issue for cats. If you're recommending tick control for cats, then having a tally posted that shows the number of ticks removed from cats so far that year can underscore the basis for that recommendation. Even that old tick jar that many of us were familiar with from years past, where the ticks removed from cats are displayed in the reception area, it's gross, but it can also be effective at communicating that the risk is real to clients because they see the ticks, you know, floating in the alcohol that were removed from other people's cats, and they realize they don't want that from their own. So the key factors that seem most important are communicating that the risk is local, timely, relevant, that it truly affects dogs and cats in the community, in the neighborhood, dogs and cats just like your client's own dogs and cats, and then communicating that there are steps we can take to protect pets to limit the risk of infection. And then there's one additional point I'd like to share, namely the role of the veterinarian in protecting public health, really our profession's contribution to One Medicine. We know that ticks and tick-borne infections aren't just an issue for dogs and cats. They're also a serious concern for human health. And by educating clients, pet owners, about the risk of infection in their pets, we're also educating them about the risk of infection to themselves and their family members. Because we test routinely, veterinarians are usually the first to know when Lyme disease moves into a new area or when the number of dogs testing positive for antibodies to the agents of ehrlichiosis spirals upwards following a tick bloom, we find out about it because we're looking for it, and then we can let the larger community know about a concern. Similarly, by recommending routine tick control for dogs and cats, we're raising overall awareness about ticks and the problems they cause. People become more aware of the risk generally when we make the recommendation, And then hopefully they become more attentive to the need for regular tick checks and the use of protective clothing and repellents on themselves to prevent tick bites whenever they're in areas where ticks are common. It also follows that when outdoors, dogs and cats spend most of their time in the area right around the home. If those dogs and cats are treated with effective tick control products, then any ticks they encounter right around the home will be killed and they won't be available then to attach to people who are later in the same area or out in that same yard. An untreated pet may even bring ticks into the home on their fur. And those ticks, since they haven't seen an acaricide because they were brought in on an untreated pet, those ticks can then move over to a person without the person even going outside. But if dogs and cats are treated, then the ticks they come in contact with 
are almost invariably killed, and so they would not be introduced into the home. And so in this regard, tick control on pets is truly a public health service. It reduces the number of ticks in the environment and limits the risk to everyone in the family. So thanks again for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this four podcast series and that it was helpful in supporting your quest to get the ticks under control. Thank you, listeners, for spending a few minutes with us. We hope that you found the information shared today useful. Thank you to our podcast sponsor, Elanco, for their support. Let us know what you thought about this session or what you'd like to hear on future podcasts. You can connect with the Vetfolio team via email at support at vetfolio.com.